I just find that it's crazy for me to tell my audience like to go negotiate, demand their worth, like earn more money. And if I can't do the same for myself. Welcome to the Smart Money Mama Show, where moms get real about money to help you find your financial confidence and live your best life. Now let's talk money, mamas. Hey there, I'm your host, Chelsea Brennan, and mamas, today on the show, we're talking to Jamila Souffrant, founder of Journey to Launch. Raised by a single mom, Jamila learned the value of hard work early, and from a young age, she always knew two things. She wanted to be rich, and she wanted to work for herself. But while Jamila was clear on her goals and intentional with her money from an early age, her path to entrepreneurship wasn't a straight line. Jamila had to learn to fail forward and develop her skills as a business owner and her confidence as a salesperson to create the life she imagined. Jamila and I are going to dive into her story, her successes and failures so far, and how she's cultivated her mindset so that she can build a more profitable business that helps even more people find the freedom they desire. Stick around until the end of the show to hear my top three takeaways from this awesome chat with Jamila or visit smartmoneymamas.com backslash Jamila, that's J-A-M-I-L-A, to see full show notes and download our free Healthy Money Mantras worksheets. Ready, mamas? Let's get started. Hey, Jamila, how's it going? Going good. How are you? Great. So glad to have you here. Thanks for joining us. I'm excited to talk about this topic. So Jamila, you have three kids and I heard that one of your financial goals was to not have to work for anyone else by the time you turned 40. Why did you come up with that goal? (laughs) So I've always been like a rebel in terms of I hate when people tell me what to do. I hate asking for permission. So even like when I first graduated from college and I got my full time job, I was just looking at everyone like, okay, this is cool. But like, I don't want to have to ask a boss to do anything. Like I always had that kind of this like, you know, feeling about things and people and like relationships. And so I was like, you know what, I'm going to find a way to actually my first goal. So my first goal was 30. I think you had said that before we pressed record that I said I was going to work for anyone past 30. And then I became 31 and I was still working. (laughs) So I was like, okay, (laughs) that didn't work. And so I made a new goal to have it at, well, to retire. This is when I found out about financial independence, to retire early by 40. Cause I thought, well, that seems more doable without having to start a business. I could just like save and invest my money since I was working um, at a decent job that paid me well. So that was the new plan after I realized the other plan didn't work. Awesome. So I want to talk about your like journey to financial independence and then back to entrepreneurship. But first, your mom was an immigrant and a single mom. And probably not super familiar with the idea of entrepreneurship. So you said that you were interested in this from a young age. Where did you even get this idea? I think it was really just by watching her and my grandmother. So they came here from the beautiful island of Jamaica. And for my grandmother, like she could only like watch kids. So when you come here at a certain age, for her, like going back to school, she wasn't going to do that. So it was like you either like clean homes or you watched kids. And so she watched kids. And I saw my mom, though, she went to school because she was pretty young when she had me and when she came here. So she, you know, went to school, like built up herself and built up her education to get a job and all that. But I saw all that and I was very inspired by all the hard work they did. But I thought to myself, like, I know that there's more like out here. And I don't want to be confined and stuck. And it was just part of my personality too, about just wanting to have more freedom. And I knew that like working in an office or working for someone else would not possibly like make me happy. Um, So that's why I kind of had that bug since I was like a little kid about doing my own thing. So was your major in college and your first job out of school, like serving that long-term goal? So I didn't really know like how I was going to make that happen. So I thought, okay, I'm just going to go after the money At least I I knew that at the minimum, I would want to make money. And so I chose business management, very general, as my major. I was like, I don't know, like sounds like people who (laughs) work in business make money. And I had a specialization in finance. And lucky for me, I did get an internship through Inroads, a scholarship, well, an internship program. And they placed me at a Fortune 500 company. And I started interning and making money as, as a summer intern. And so I graduated and worked full time for the company I interned with up until I left over a year ago. Awesome. So what were you doing there? So I transitioned at first. I worked worked in portfolio management. So again, I followed the money. So I knew I wanted to work in investments ultimately. And then I had a bug for real estate very early on. And so I said, well, if I'm going to work for anyone, I want it to be in real estate because that seems the most creative out of all the investment departments 
at the company. And so I transitioned to real estate about two years into my career and stayed there and then transitioned again because I was doing more like kind of supportive IT work, which I knew I didn't want to do. Again, the money would be on the front end. And so I transitioned into an asset manager at the company that I was working for, um, which was really like if if, if I was going to do anything or work for anyone, it would have been something like that. So it was a really good position and a position for me to like earn money and learn about real estate, which is what I loved. And that real estate bug came into your personal life too, right? You bought a house right out of college? Yeah. So I bought a condo. I grew up in Brooklyn and I, when I graduated from college or as I was graduating, this is right before I knew that I wanted to buy something because I saw that my grandmother. So I told you my grandmother came here with really nothing and she was able to buy a home in this undesirable at the moment part of Brooklyn, downtown Brooklyn. And she bought this home. And then by the time I came of age to college years, high school years, it was worth so much money. And she could care less. Like she, you know, it was just like whatever. And I realized, cause I also met some people in the neighborhood who bought brownstones and they were doing their own thing. So they weren't working for anyone else. They were like selling real estate. And so I was like, wow, like maybe I can buy real estate. Uh, so when I started to understand about real estate, I started looking, but at the time it was like the height of the bubble and I couldn't afford any of the brownstones. Like it was too much money. And I saw a advertisement for a new construction in this like part of Brooklyn that I grew up maybe 10 minutes away from, but had no clue about called Dumbo, which at the moment had nothing. And it stands for, for people who are not familiar with New York, um, in Brooklyn, it stands for down under the Manhattan bridge overpass. So now it's like the most expensive real estate, um, in Brooklyn and I think New York, but then it was like, no man's land. Like there was nothing yeah. there. And so I saw these studio, they had studios and penthouses and the studio was like the cheapest at like 300 and I think $25,000, which was still a lot for like a 21 year old. But I was like, well, it's a better lot. than, yeah. I was like, well, it's better than the $900,000 <laughs> brownstones I was looking at. So I was like, okay, maybe I can like try to figure out how to make that work. So I ended up um, going into contract for it before it was even the, br- the ground was broken. And so I, I was able to, you know, put some money down and come up with the rest of the money. My mom, I always like telling this story because it's really um, in, like important that she, despite not having a lot, helped me with some of the down payment for that first 10%. Like she basically like was so giving in terms of like and helping me with my dreams. And then I came up with the rest of the 10% and the closing costs and moved in. So I did buy a studio apartment in Dumbo before it was like Dumbo. So that's that, that's been a good move for me. That's a huge move. <laughs> but there's got to be moms listening that are like, okay, how did you come up with even $30,000, the other 10% at 21 years old? Like, how would you saved up that money? Yeah, so I worked. So I had the internship. So mm-hmm. I had a good internship. This inroads company, like they paid you a lot of money for a college student in the mm-hmm. summertime. And so I used to go back on my winter break. I would go back as much as I could to work. Um, so if the company, I was like, you know, I'm off for two weeks and I come back and I literally would save you know, 90% of those checks. So, you know, if I was bringing home maybe like $1,500, I would save like as much $1,200 each, you know, every other paycheck or every paycheck. And so that accumulated over time. So what happened also was when I paid the first 10% down, like that was like all my money. Like I didn't have anything else, but I was, I knew it was going to take two years for that condo to be built. And I also got a full-time offer from my company. And so I knew that if I could really save up, like all my checks for those next two years, I'd have the money. And luckily for me, again, my mom allowed me to stay home for those two years where I like didn't have to pay rent. So again, she like helped in so many ways. And um, I was able to save for those two years, the remaining 10% and the closing costs. And funny thing is, the mortgage was literally like my whole paycheck. So that was another <laughs> thing. <laughs> that was an it was like and and so when I actually closed on it, it was at the time when they weren't doing any document mortgages. Like it was like giving everyone mortgages. So technically, if they would have checked my income, they'd be like, how are you going to afford this? But they did it. They was like a no loan dot close. And luckily, again, for me, it worked out because I was able to aggressively save for two years. And then I knew I was going to make more money, like if I stayed at this company. So like by the time, after a couple of years, it wasn't so tight. Like I started to make more and things started to get a little bit more comfortable. Is that a recommendation you'd make to other people that are just getting out of school? (laughs) It's a risk, right? So like it was a very calculated risk. Like it could have went the other way, which actually I had another deal that did not go so well, but I feel like I knew that I was going to earn more money. And luckily for me, Dumbo, like by the time I closed on it, it was worth more than my, what I went to contract for. So I thought okay. at the very least I would be able to like sell it, you mm-hmm. know, like if I couldn't move in, cause it was too expensive for me. So it, it, you know, I think it's rare that that can happen. Like all those stars align the way it did for me. 
But I also feel that it's not impossible. I think sometimes you have to make opportunity. And obviously I had help with my, from my mom, even her just allowing me to live at home, right? So these are things yeah. that I look at as a mom myself now of even if it's not monetary, what are the things that you can help your kids with so they set them up for success? Absolutely. So you're working in college, you're saving 90% of your paychecks, you know, you're interested in real estate and investing, it sounds like you're hyper focused, right on like your long term goal of being out from having like a normal job. What happened between 21 and 31? Where it sounds like you had a little bit of a loss period there. Well, I mean, I tried things. I was like, okay, I'm going to like start a business because that's the only way I thought that I could become rich. And so I was like, okay. I had a, I had an online magazine, which was cool at the beginning, but like it was me and my friend. And like we just, after a while, it just got to be more of a chore. Um, mm-hmm. And then I got my, so I personally got my real estate license. So I was like, oh, maybe I should like sell real estate. And then I realized <laughs> that I didn't really like that. <laughs> and then I had, I did like think I would do, go into vending machines. I was like, oh, what's a passive way that I could do this? But then I ended up spending too much money on the vending machines. And while one did really well, the other one we couldn't place. And it was just like a hassle. My husband and I kind of like were running it. And so I was trying like these little things that just didn't work. And then in the meantime, I did go back to school because my company paid for like 80% of it to get my master's in real estate. So I thought my biggest thing is like, I always had like a plan B. So like my plan A was to try and figure out a way to quit my job. But I was like, well, if I'm Mm going to be here, I might as well make the most that I can. So I always put myself in positions that I could get the best job or get the best raise. And so that's why I went back to school because they were paying for it. Or I put myself in positions to like get to at least the, the position in at my job that I wanted ultimately. Awesome. So how did you get interested in vending machines? Oh, gosh. You know, I was like trying to search like, what could I do? Like, I can't I have a full time job. What Mm -hmm. seems passive? You know, people are talking about like all the vending machines are a passive thing and you can make a lot of money. All you need to find is the right location. So just like real estate, it's location, Mm -hmm. location. So I was like, all I need to, to get is into a good location. But I also invested in like these healthy vending machines that were more flashier, that cost so much more money than I probably should have paid for them. So I think that was like the biggest kind of. And then, of course, like placing them wasn't as easy as what you thought it would be. Like you'd have the cold called. And, you know, I would say that with that vending machine business. So we placed one in the biggest hotel in Brooklyn. And that was like amazing because it was like perfect. Like if we could place both of them in like those kind of locations, it would have been fine. But it was also very intensive. Like after a while, the machine started breaking. So my husband was in charge more of like refilling them and trying to fix them. And he's not that like hands on. So he would have a hard time with it. So I was just like, you know, this is like more stressful than like it's worth like for us. And then we were starting our family. So it was just like, you know what, let's give that up. But it was a good try. Like we learned a lot (laughs) through that process. So is he like getting food delivered to your house and he's going to refill the vending machine? No. So he would just like go to Costco and pick like buy things in bulk and then go put them in the vending machine. Gotcha. So not completely passive. (laughs) No, it wasn't passive at all. Like, you know, I think it definitely required a lot of work and like it wasn't something that and it also wasn't. So the location was like maybe 25, 30 minutes away from where we lived. So that was also just more of a hassle. If something broke or something wasn't working, he would be the one that would have to go out to do it. So it was like, no, this is not kind of what I envisioned. So those first two experiences weren't exactly what you envisioned, right? The online magazine and the vending machine business. And real estate. And (laughs) And real estate. personal real estate. Yeah. Wait, your personal real estate didn't? I thought you well, the house meaning, went well. So when I got my, I got my real estate license too. Oh, so I right, got right, my right. master. So like corporate wide and like professionally, I got my master's in real estate from NYU. But also on the side, okay. I thought I could like sell real estate. So I got my real estate license, and I tried that also. Like I try, like I worked under a real estate agent, and like I tried to show apartments for rent, and like I just I didn't like that either. So I was like, okay, none of this is working. <laughs> so did that diminish your interest in entrepreneurship at all for some period of time? It did jade like it got it it I felt a little jaded because I felt like there's nothing is working. Like at first all these ideas seemed amazing and I thought I'd love I'd want to do them. And then as I got to start doing them, I was like, man, this is kind of more work than I want it to be. And then I thought, why can I just be happy? Like my job pays me well, it's not that bad. Like why everyone else seems to do this. Like, you know, they go to work, they make it work, and that's it. Like, why do you need to do all this extra stuff? And so I thought, I really thought to myself, you know what? Like just make the best of it where you are and maybe just take a pause and trying to figure things out. I still was interested in real estate. But I thought to myself, you know what, I was starting a family at that point. So I thought to myself, maybe it's just best to like go the more traditional route and kind of the whole family having starting to have kids prompted me to find out about this whole part, like financial independence. 
life. So yes, yeah, so let's talk about that. So for so many moms that we talk to, there's a major kind of change in how they view finances and their long-term goals once they have kids, right? They want to be around more. They they want to do things that they're passionate about. So what what got you interested in financial independence? And what about your job just didn't suit your current family life? So I was pregnant with my first son. So I was 31 and pregnant with my first son. And I usually had a long commute. So before the kids, my commute was, and you know, I also moved. So when I was living in Dumbo, my commute to Jersey. So I worked in Jersey, like in Morristown, New Jersey. And my commute was maybe an hour because I lived so close to the bridge. And when I moved further in, so once we got engaged, my husband and I, we moved in with his like parents into the basement of their um, house. And so it was further, but we didn't have kids. So even if it took me like an hour and a half to get home, no big deal. Right. Mm -hmm. But then I, when I got pregnant for the first time and like my commute was an hour and a half, sometimes two, one way. And one day I was pregnant and it took, um, I, I hate that I always mix, mix this up, but it's like three, three to four hours. I forget the exact time, but it was like a lot of hours. Way and too long. <laughs> way too long. And so I, it was just like, I had a breakdown because I was pregnant. Mm -hmm. I was like, I can't do this. Like, and so I knew at that point, I had to figure something out, but I still didn't know what, because I tried all these things in the past and I, they didn't work. So I was like, what, how am I going to be able to support, like, especially because my income, like I had a high earning income at my job, right? My husband's a teacher, yeah. so he earned good money too, but like I had the higher income potential. So I'm just like, how are we going to, we knew we wanted more kids. So it's like, how can I like walk away from something like this? How can I make this work for me. And so it really started having me at least think about like, what could I do differently? And that's when I started Googling, like how to quit my job, all these like catchphrases. And eventually, so it wasn't right away. It's not like my first son, I was like, oh, financial independence, I'll try that. It was like, you know, it took some time. And then mm -hmm. I started to realize, wow, like maybe I can do what some of these people are talking about, like saving more aggressively. So that worst case scenario, again, like that kind of plan A, like if plan A is to stay at my job until whenever and make it work, what if my plan B could be at the same regard? Maybe you could quit or retire in 10 years or 15. Maybe it can't be next year, but maybe you could still do it if you are smarter with your finances. Yeah. So you guys hustled hard with financial independence and really upped your savings rate for two or three years, right? When you, yeah. you discovered that? So once we did decide, or once I did really get into it and thought, okay, we could do this. We, it, we did, I'd say we aggressively saved and invested over kind of three years. So the first two years we aggressively invested and saved in our retirement accounts. So because my husband's a teacher and I started finding out about like the fact that he had access to two pre-tax retirement plans and I at my job had one, I was like, we can just max all that out. Let's max out everything possible um, and get really aggressive. Cause if we do this for seven years, right? So I started journey to launch, which is my platform initially just to chronicle what we were doing. Like, okay, here's yep. how we're going to reach financial independence. So, so I had moved then the marker to 40 years old. I said, okay, by 40, I'm going to be able to retire, which meant quit my job really, uh, because yeah. we'll have saved a lot of money within like that. I think when we started that seven year period, then we'd be able to pay off the mortgage. And so like our expenses will be way lower and we'll make it work. We'll figure something out. And I started to chronicle that. And so the first two years we did that, we invested like in his 403B and 457, my 401k. Then we did uh, Roth IRAs, but backdoor Roth IRAs because of our income and index funds. And we paid down the mortgage like for those two years. And then um, I got pregnant with my third child. So within that time I had another son and then yep. I got pregnant. And then I realized really quickly that I didn't want to continue that for another six years, this life of working, raising the kids, having that commute. I was like, I can't, something has to give. So your whole mindset around money really from the beginning was that you knew you wanted to be wealthy. You knew you wanted that freedom. And what, were you, what was your thinking about your long-term plan when you knew you didn't want to do this financial independence thing anymore? What was worth putting that on hold? You mean like when I decided like I didn't want to work at my job anymore, like or I wanted yeah. to find something. It was more about so this whole concept of financial independence and retiring early is about basically having freedom, right? Like you now mm -hmm. can have the freedom to choose what you want to do and to do the things you love and enjoy whatever it is you want to enjoy. But I didn't want to sacrifice the now, like my now for then, because it almost mm -hmm. felt it's the same thing as people who are working for 30 years, just for the retirement date. It felt like I'd be just working. Yeah, it's only seven years. So the t it's not that long of a time at that moment, or it was less time by then because I was a little older. But I thought to myself, maybe if I was like single or I didn't have children, I'd be able to like kind of stick it out. 
But my children, I felt like they, like, like I couldn't. Like, there was no way that I think I could physically, mentally, and emotionally carry it all. And what's crazy is Journey to Launch became a big part of that because maybe if there was also no Journey to Launch, I'd be able to make it work. Like, it was just, like, the work, the kids commute, and that's it. But then I had added on this layer of what started out as just, like, a blog, then turned into, like, this business, this podcast, this kind of this company where, wait, what if I could, I, I have joy. I find out like there's something here because people are really attracted to it and it's connecting. Like, what if there's something here that I could focus on? And so I realized like there were so many things I was juggling that something had to give. And what would that be? And how could I like reach this level of freedom today without all the money like in the bank just yet? Like that was kind of what I started to think about. And I realized like it was more important for me to, to live my life today and enjoy what I had today versus putting it off and being miserable. Yeah, I think that's something that we share, right? So I left my job. We were about four or five years from financial independence when I left my job. And my husband's a stay-at-home dad. So we completely put that on hold. But I knew that I was never going to get those early years with my kids back, right? They, were, I was, If I waited another five years, they'd be in school. We wouldn't have all that time together. Um, so that's why we made the jump. But when did you officially leave your job? So I decided I mentally um, <laughs> left earlier than I physically <laughs> left. So once I found out that I was pregnant, I said to myself, OK, so remember I said it was like three years of aggressive savings. So those first two years went into all retirement accounts and investment accounts. When mm-hmm. I found out I was pregnant that kind of last year to that, I was like, well, we have to switch things up because if I'm going to leave my job, let's see if that's even possible. Can my, because my husband still works and his income was not going to cover all of our expenses. So I was like, well, we'd have to set up a runway here. We have to set up some cash and money to help fund this leap that I'm taking into entrepreneurship. Right. And what would that look like? How much money would we need to where we wouldn't have to adjust our lifestyle too much and we could still live. And so we came up with this like runway, this, this idea that we started to save aggressively into like savings accounts and like Roths instead of like the pre-tax stuff, things that we can access just in case anything happened. What would that look like? And so we figured we could aggressively save and bridge what his income would bring in without even journey to launch, really making any money for like two years. So it's almost like we gave ourselves like two years. So once I found out that I was pregnant, we started aggressively saving into like this new strategy. And then I knew pretty much that I wasn't going to return after my maternity leave. And so I let my my job know once I was pretty clear on that when I was out that I wasn't coming back. So when was that? So that was, I mean, I, so I gave birth in May, but I had, luckily, I had like a long um, maternity leave comparing to some people. So I was able to kind of stay out and get paid up until like September, October. So I, I think I ended up telling them like September. Awesome. Okay. So was Journey to Launch making any money when you made this transition? It was, but it was inconsistent. Like it was okay. like here and there, but there was nothing consistently or near to what I was making like in my corporate job. So let's fast forward. Now we're in 2019. You're, a couple months ago, your podcast hit a million downloads after yep. just about two years, which is amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> What's been your favorite part of, of this transition and now being an entrepreneur? Yeah, you know, my favorite part is the flexibility. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there's also a lot of challenges, like to be clear, <laughs> right? Like I always like actually talking about the challenges, like just because I want people to understand like it may it's yes, there are a lot of positives now to my life, but there's also a lot of challenges. But the most positive is I'm like even this week. So I have two kids that are one is in school full time. He goes to public school. The middle is in like a preschool that they only go three times a week. And mm-hmm. so their schedules like they get out at two. Right. And like I'm just like. You know, th- thank God I'm home to be able to go pick them up. If not, they, you know, they stay in after school. That's what I had to do. My mom worked, you know, like, so it wouldn't yeah. be the end of the world. And, but like two, they have Christmas parties, like tomorrow and Thursday, separate ones in the middle of the day. And I'm able to go, I can plan my schedule around that. So, you know, I can most days take them to school, pick them up. I don't have to be in the car, you know, for two hours one way. So that, so that to me is like the benefit is this flexibility that I now have in being able to like attend events and be there more like and not be so exhausted at the end of the day. That's huge for any mom. Yeah. Now we're definitely going to dive into some of the challenges of entrepreneurship because I think that's the juicy stuff anyone considering becoming a business owner needs to know. But before we do that, let's take a quick moment to hear from our amazing sponsors who made this podcast possible. Today's podcast is brought to you by Debt.com. 
One of my favorite things about Debt.com is that they remove the embarrassment around getting out of debt. If you're feeling overwhelmed by monthly payments or balances, but don't know who to turn to, Debt.com can match you with the perfect, trustworthy debt solution provider to help you create a debt freedom plan and build a strong financial foundation. You can learn more by visiting smartmoneymamas.com backslash debt or by calling their free support line at 844-462-8280 to discuss solutions for your unique situation. That number again is 844-462-8280. Debt.com for when life happens. All right, Jamila. So you told us that there's also a lot of challenges that you like to talk about. So what's been harder than you thought with running Journey to Launch? You know, so I would say it's it's not really harder, right? So I didn't, I did not for one second thought any of this would be easy. But, you know, even though we saved the money to be able to do this, it still mm-hmm. is kind of terrifying to see our account, like our savings account go down like every month, right? So like coming from a place where we had like money in terms of like we had, we were able to save and max things out to the point where we're not saving and investing in any other really the retirement accounts anymore. Cause now this focuses on like lifestyle, like living our current life and then investing, like luckily journey to launch at least covers its own expenses, but it's still like kind of scary to like see, even though we plan for it, that I, we still have to like go into our savings to bridge the income, our, our expenses. So I think just mentally wrapping my head around that and like, and then of course, like if you, if you dwell on that and the money too much, like I think that only makes it worse. Um, so it's like, I don't want to create another job for myself either. Like I don't want to do things just because. So there's that fine line on being aggressive and like, you know, like doing things for money because like they make sense. But then it's just like, but I don't want to do that. It doesn't make me happy. So I feel like I don't want to like create another job that I hate when this is supposed to be something that I enjoy. Um, while there are things that I need to do and that's fine, like I, I still work pretty hard. It's just like, that's been the challenge of how can I consistently in a way that feels good to me, bring in money and serve my audience and feel like in alignment, but without it feeling like it's something I don't love doing or something that I'm forced to do. So you think that's your biggest hurdle right now with increasing income is finding something that feels true to you? I'd say that there's so many options. So there are a lot of ways to make money with like a brand or, you know, online. And so I think for me, it's finding what I actually want to do. Right. So there's like all these models you can like choose to do. You can, um, and there's different types of businesses like in within even me and journey to launch. So journey to launch is a platform can earn money through sponsorships and like podcast sponsorships or collaborations. Um, or me as the person like, you know, coaching or group programs or membership, like there are a million ways. Or me personally, Jamila Souffrant can go speak and do workshops, right? Like there's, there's all these things. So it's like, what do I want to focus on? What what makes sense to me? And so I've, I've experienced a bit, a lot of, of those activities. And it's really just deciding what I want to focus on and what I want to do. Cause there's room, like I can, there's potential in all of them and I've made money in all of those things, but okay, which ones um, do I want to focus on? Cause you can't do it all. So that's the other thing. Like, what are you going to focus on? Absolutely. Have you, so you've tried, have you tried all those things? Have you experimented? Yeah. Yeah. I have for the most part. Um, so I kind of got a taste of what each one is and, you know, none of them are going to be hundred percent like, Oh, this is easy. Like, you know, some of them more than others, But I think for me, my biggest thing is just figuring out how to consistently earn money to the point where I can also not only pay for the expenses, but start to pay myself and um, and start saving, right, and investing again the way I want to. So in talking to some other uh, female entrepreneurs, especially in the personal finance space, I've heard some people talk about how it's hard to charge for things when we're trying to get people to be better with their money, right? Figuring out what to charge and, and really charging what we're worth. Have you ever struggled with that at all? I definitely in the beginning, um, still a little bit now, but I'm definitely so much better than I was before. I think it's hard because here you are, you're, t- you're helping people manage their money. And sometimes mm-hmm. the assumption is that everyone, no one has money, right? Like everyone's like, at poverty or under the poverty line. And there are definitely people who need help who are in that situation. And, but there are so many um, people who are doing well, but just could be doing better or just are not managing their money 
well enough. And sometimes I think because we're in like this FinCon, so like this space, like this personal finance space where there is a lot of frugality talk and not spending money and DIY, which is great mm-hmm. if that's like, you know, what people are drawn to, that it can cloud your vision or what you see. Because I don't really see myself, like obviously for us to do what we did, we had to make choices in the way we spent. So mm-hmm. we're maybe if you looked at us, you'll say, OK, you're frugal in certain areas, but we're not in other areas. Like we, we live in New York City. We still go out to eat. We still like pay probably too much. Like if I showed you how much we paid for like, a, you know, drinks, if we went out like that, it's a lot. It's not like we're super frugal, only spending thirty thousand dollars a year. So with that, I think it's easy to get clouded by maybe what your peers are doing and who they're talking to or because it's different. And so for me, um, in the beginning, I felt a little clouded in my vision because I listened to so many people or po- other podcasts about frugality and not spending money and all this stuff. And it really wasn't in alignment, wasn't in alignment with my current journey because we did spend money. And while we mm-hmm. had to be conscious, like it was more about value spending. So I've definitely come to a place now where before maybe we're, you know, focused on cutting back, saving, which is important depending on where you are, right? If you're in a lot of debt, yeah. if you don't earn a lot of money, yeah, you need to do that. But talking about earning more, right? Like how can we earn more money um, and demand our worth? And what's interesting is I think that unfortunately, if you're a leader in the personal finance space, like, you know, like you have a brand or you're in the forefront, I just find that it's crazy for me to tell my audience like to go negotiate, demand their worth, like earn more money. And if I can't like do the same for myself, which may mean if I come out with something that for them, it may be so maybe it's not something that they can afford some parts of the audience, but maybe for some people they're willing to invest in it and they can't afford it. But I just, I think it's like, it's not in alignment if I'm telling people to like to go out and know their worth when I don't know mine or I don't know how to express that. So I've definitely um, gotten way better at that. And so it's it's like thinking about how to communicate that in a way that's authentic and works for whoever it is that you're serving in that capacity. As you shifted to to stepping into that, right, of walking the walk that you're, you're encouraging your audience to do. Have you ever gotten pushback on on raising prices or changing exactly what you're doing to monetize? Uh, not so not publicly. Like I have actually so I have a membership program that's like, I think, probably mid price point. Like in comparison, there's other membership programs out there and it's maybe like around the same amount. Right. Okay. And I've been so I've been thinking about this a lot more often now about like the direction I want to go with the membership because, you know, the podcast that I put out is high quality every week for the last over two and two and a half years or two and a half years it's been going out and it's free. Anyone can listen to that. And even with like a membership, right? That's my membership right now is $24.99 a month um, or $250 a year. But at some point, even that is too much money for some people, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas for me, even at that price point, like I still can't do some of the things that I want to do with the membership because it's just not bringing in as much income for me to afford to do some of the things that I want to do with it. And so yeah. I think at every price point, there are going to be people, even if it's $10, there's going to be someone that's like, I can't afford that. Um, so it's really about making the decision for me was like, okay. And it's really a little bit of guilt, I think, in the beginning, because for I thought, all right, but like I need to do something that's affordable and, and forgetting that like this, the podcast is free. Like that is like affordable. Anyone can do that. And I've been really listening to like Seth Godin recently, and he has this like concept of it's either free or what you consider expensive, right? Like or your mm-hmm. value. But that yeah. middle ground, if you're trying to just do the middle ground because, you, you know, you don't want to feel like a bad person, like you're still people are still going to complain or think that it's too much money. So I think like I am thinking more about my business model and where I want to like spend my energy and time. And it's been even since like thinking about this more and more, I've been having more just clarity around what I want to do and like what kind of content I want to create for people. So you said that you talk to people about making sure they're earning more money, finding new ways to to grow their income and, and increase that savings rate. What recommendations do you have for moms in our audience that are starting businesses and that are nervous about sales or charging for things? Yeah, because I think as women, we are so, you know, taught to people please, like we're people pleasers. And we think, you know, it's interesting because the dynamic with money is that we want it, but there's some sometimes deep rooted thoughts around what money 
makes you or what asking mm-hmm. for more money makes you, right? Like, oh, I'm going to seem like I'm being greedy or they're going to think I'm a bad person now because I'm charging. You know, you're supposed to almost like this Mother Teresa kind of, you're supposed to just just be so giving. And then sometimes, but you you give so much and you like, you don't have anything else left for yourself. And so what helps me, like I think about like now, and it's coming to that now where like I'm coming up on my second year of full-time entrepreneurship. So coming upon where I'm at the point where, yeah, this needs to actually make money. I need to be able to pay myself, not just expenses. So if I want to serve people, if people are coming to me telling me that their lives are being changed just by the podcast, like that this is a service that I'm doing, then it's a disservice if I can't find a way to keep it running and it's a disservice if I can't charge. And so I think sometimes as women, like you assume that people should know how you feel. And like, there might be some resentment that comes up because if you don't follow or do what's true to yourself, resentment builds up in some way. And so I think that's not fair though, to like the people who need you or to your audience that are looking for you because you couldn't like go out and say or charge what you needed to do to make your household run or to make you happy. Right. And so I just think about that if I don't make this work, it'd be more because I like I have to then go out and like earn the money and make the money. And so if my fear is what people think of me, then would I rather not even have Journey to Launch at all? Because the alternative is me to say I, you know, I, because I'm afraid to charge you money, I can no longer run Journey to Launch because it's just not free. Like it costs a lot of money for me to do this. So I now yeah. there's no podcast. There's no Journey to Launch. <laughs> and then no one is helped. Like, who does that serve? So I think if you're thinking about this as a business owner is to really think about you, yourself, your family, like priority is taken care of. As long as you you have the best intentions, like you're serving from a good place, you're, you're putting out quality content, like that's what matters. And so it's a disservice to not be able to continue that if that's what you really want to do. I love that. Yeah. It's so funny how when there is so much free content, some, you're always going to get that pushback. As soon as you charge for something, I, I think all, every entrepreneur should know whether you're in just general sales or whatever, there's going to be people that are like, I can't afford that. And they're frustrated, but there are options for them. And I'm, I'm actually remembering that story you've told before about your mom reading to you at night. Can you share what where she got that and why that was so important to her? Oh, yeah. So for her, so she, we didn't have a lot of money. She didn't have a lot of money. Um, for me at least. And, but my, my grandmother, because she watched wealthy kids in the city, she would come home and be like, Oh, like you have to read to these kids every night. And so my mom was like, Oh, you read like, she would pick up on anything that my grandmother had to do for the kids, the wealthy kids that she was watching. She'd be like, how can I do that for Jamila? So we didn't buy books, but we went to the library a lot. And so I remember going to library every weekend to get a stack of books. And that was like, just our routine and she'd read to me a lot. So even though she couldn't go out, to, she couldn't afford to go out and buy the books, she made sure that she found a way for me to have the books. And that I think, so that kind of thinking, um, kind of by any means necessary by being creative, like that's the kind of, for me, I think is important is what's made me who I am. So it's funny that you say that she was watching what the wealthy people were doing with their kids and wanted to do that with you as well. Um, And then you talk about how she helped you get the down payment for the Dumbo apartment earlier in our conversation. And I want to shift for a second about how you want to raise your kids around money, especially watching you as an entrepreneur. I know that, you know, a lot of times immigrant families are very helpful for their kids and they want to help them get on their feet. But then you watch some wealthy families that are afraid of spoiling, right? The opposite side of like, I'm going to charge them rent and I'm not going to, you know, I want them to have skin in the game for college. So like, how are you finding that balance and how do you think about money mindset with your kids? Yeah, I think it's interesting because I think what made me scrappy is not having like much, right? Like mm-hmm. and having to be creative and not getting everything I wanted. Like I always had I always had a since I was 14 I I worked. So I really understood like money. And mm-hmm. I think about my kids and they're still pretty young. They're only 5, 3 and 1. And so we have some time although the oldest one like he they're definitely getting more you know you can see that they're like oh can you buy that or can I have that or and um I think about like what like I want to instill in them and I think there is a balance like I wouldn't just I think for me the biggest thing is even though I worked it didn't impact like my schooling like I chose to work like I never felt like mm-hmm. oh my gosh I don't have enough time like to do my schoolwork and I have to go to work it wasn't a burden yeah. and so I think I'm going to encourage them to earn money and be creative Um, I feel like we have more tools nowadays than ever than my mother certainly had to like be creative in terms of like helping them like, you know, to do things, even, you know, setting things up or having like giving them a little task in my business, you know, when they are of age. But there is like a way that you could still teach them to be scrappy, but then still support them so that 
they you can give them a ledge like or a like kind of a boost because my mom mm-hmm. like she gave me a lot of boost in life without her i wouldn't be just how she raised me i wouldn't be like she sacrificed her own dreams for me and so i think now that we have more means we still have to find a way to do that for our children and so i think about that all the time about how i can instill that to them like i'd love for them to inherit the, the Dumbo property. Like that's my goal, right? So like this generational yep. wealth to, you know, to think about, like I also don't want them to be like spoiled, like <laughs> children that, you know, just things just get handed to them. But I, I honestly think the constant conversations and talks around money and not from a place that, oh, we don't have it. It's like, you know, but just like teaching them how to like respect and manage it um, and earn it, I think is like what we're going after. Like the conversation to thoughtfulness, bringing them in when the time comes to, okay, can, can we go to Disney World? I don't know. Let's like sit and talk about it. What are, you know, like, and so those are the conversations I'm looking forward to having with them. That's great. Are you going to, do you think you'll encourage entrepreneurship with the kids? I will. I, I want to be the parent. I am so far, but I want to continue to be the kind of parent that just helps to engage whatever their interests are. So if I find that one of them is interested in something that looks like entrepreneurship or something in- interesting, I think I would definitely like encourage them. I want to be able for them to make decisions, not only based on money, like, right. Like I would love that by the time they got of age, they had some, you know, I can gift them with something where if they wanted to like buy, a, like put for a down payment for their own house or start a business or buy something, they could make that decision. Uh, so that's kind of like where I'm headed to now. But I was talking to my son, my oldest son, he loves YouTube and so we have to limit it because then he'll go crazy. But I'm like, oh, maybe this summer, like we can do a little project and no one has to even see this YouTube channel. It could just be like a private thing, but we can like have him start like thinking about how he can record his own videos and come up with content and make that a fun thing. Or maybe we should do like lemonade stands and, t- and talk about like how he can earn money for some of the things that he wants that he asks us to buy. Right. So I'm like already yeah. thinking about how to creatively and in a fun way do that. Kids are so creative in finding ways to earn and get what they want that it's sometimes it's just giving them the opportunity, right? Yes, yes. And that like learning is so important. Like, so I think sometimes because the way we're raised nowadays in school, if your 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 children are in school, it's very directed. And so it's like it's a hard for them to be as expressive um, mm-hmm. if they only have outlets like in school because it's kind of more regimented. And so like home is a great place to allow them to be creative, to like see what really strikes a nerve and interests them. Yeah, that's awesome. So as, as we listened to your whole journey through this episode, you seem somewhat like someone who's willing to take risks, right? You bought the Dumbo property, even though the mortgage was your whole paycheck, and you tried the vending machine business and, and other real estate things. And now you've left a, a lucrative job to do Journey to Launch. What advice do you have for moms that don't have that as much, that they're really scared of putting themselves out there? Well, first, I think that being scared is normal. I I am scared all the time. So just because I do these things does not mean that I'm not terrified and thinking to myself, what the hell am I doing? That's a good point. <laughs> like all like so I think sometimes the perception is, oh, if you're doing all this, you must have like no fear. You're so brave. I would say that I'm courageous. I have voices in my head all the time, like, you know, the little voice, that nagging voice telling you who are you to do this, like what's mm-hmm. what's happening, this is a mistake. Like that happens. And there's, you know, the other voice in me that's just like tell them to shut up, just keep going, like <laughs> make it work. Um, so I say that we all have these, we all have it. So it's not something that necessarily is not gonna be there. I also like to say that I take calculated risk. So while I do take huge risk, I always know that the worst case scenario is that I'm not gonna die. So I think that's for the most part, like if it doesn't work, any of these situations, right? Like my, my biggest thing was I never wanted to put my family in peril. So mm-hmm. although leaving my job was a big risk, I knew that at worst case, I could get a job. Now, how quickly I could get a job and how that looks, like I don't know. But worst case, I'd be able to at least like go out there and find a job to help bridge the gap for what my husband's income doesn't like cover. Absolutely. Or worst case we'd be able to sell like you know not that i'd want to do this but um, the worst case was we could sell something or Mm -hmm. so i think thinking about what the worst case is um not that you want to harp on the what the bad things that can happen but to think about how you'd be able to like bounce back and 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 be okay is helpful because then you realize oh it's not so bad and for me the upside was worth so much more than the downside I like the idea of thinking through what the worst case scenario is and what you could do. Because I think for a lot of us, we build that up to this big, scary monster. 
that when you play that game of like, okay, what if the worst thing happened? Then what would you do? You realize you always have options and and gives you a little bit more perspective. And I think it's really interesting because I think about like, what if it does work, right? Because Mm -hmm. when I think about it working and what that looks like, I'm like, that excites me. And that's, and, and even the failure of it, like, at least I won't have the regret. Like my biggest thing is to get to my end of my life and think, like, I didn't even try it. Like, I didn't even know what that was like. So I would actually, I, I'm more fearful of having those kind of regrets than than the failures, which help drive me then to take the kind of risks that I take. That's amazing. All right, Jamila, before we let you go, we have to have you try on our Smart Money Mama's sorting hat. So I'm a huge Harry Potter nerd. So the sorting hat is our version of a hot seat where the, our little magical hat reveals something about you. It contains a number of questions about money, money, motherhood, and life. I'll pull one question for you to answer. Are you ready? Yep. All right. Today's question is, what is one thing you wish someone told you before you became a mom? Oh, gosh, a lot. Okay, one thing I wish someone told me, I wish someone told me like how how much my body would change. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like I knew like I had I had delusions that like I'd be like it, it would look similar and or the same, and unfortunately for me that's not the case. It, it was a bigger deal for me because I was very identified much a lot with being fit, mm-hmm. and so um and then I got I developed diastasis recti. I know this is like so like not this is like going into a rabbit hole, but I feel like a lot of moms, moms. right? So okay, good. So because I was identified with being so fit, and I had a, I had my little four pack, and I was like, well, once I have my babies, like I'm still gonna be fit. And then I realized that it wasn't for my lack of effort. Like I literally like my body. Like I had like something where they prevented me, right? Like it was like, yeah. a, like physically from looking, yes, all vanity related, but also like just, it's also health related that mm-hmm. I didn't realize that like this po- this was possible. Like that, I, you know, I thought that I'd just be able to go back and like work out and make it right. And that's not the case. And it's been a very long and just interesting journey because that's like another big part of my life that makes me me that I had to figure out how to incorporate and how do I, how do I build that back? Um, so I've been working on that. So I wish I would have known that this was going to be a possibility. <laughs> so for other moms who are facing that, I'm curious, what would you tell yourself now that you've kind of gone through that and processed that identity change? Oh, so one is to appreciate. So I look back sometimes at like, when I was critical of myself Mm -hmm. in my 20s or before I even had kids. And I'm like, are you kidding me? So, and you know, (laughs) it's crazy. I think what's helpful now for me is that I know that I might be older and look back at myself and be like, you were fine then too. So I think all the perspective is important and to be kind and gentle to yourself. So the same way that I thought I was more critical of myself in my 20s now, even when I look at myself, I'm just like, are you kidding me? You had like three children, like in the span of like, (laughs) five years like you like and so I think that is um important is the perspective and being gentle with yourself because you can't really predict right like what's necessarily out of your control or what's going to happen but the best you could do is like how do you treat yourself how do you talk to yourself so that you can um be kind like you would to your children hopefully like the same way that's an amazing message great points so Jamila what is going on over at journey to launch and where can people find you Sure. So you can find the Journey to Launch podcast wherever you're listening to this podcast. So it's everywhere. I'm also on all social media at Journey to Launch. So if you're listening, like, let me know, like how you were listened or found me. I love hearing that. And then you can go to journeytolaunch.com if you want to check out more stuff and keep up to date with what's going on and follow me and my journey to financial independence and also jumpstart your journey if you're looking to really create a life that you love from where you are right now. Fantastic, Jamila. Thank you so much for joining us and good luck on your entrepreneurship journey. Thank you, Chelsea. Well, mamas, I think we can all agree that Jamila's answer to her sorting hat question was lovely and something we all need to hear more often. More often than not, we're our own worst critics and need to remember to be gentle with ourselves. Honestly, it's something I'm still learning how to do. So it was helpful to get a reminder, especially from someone I admire like Jamila. Now, before we wrap up this episode, I want to share my top three takeaways from today's chat. Jamila shared so many great insights that can help you no matter where you are in your money journey. But here's what I thought was especially powerful. First, 
put your own oxygen mask on first. As moms, we're natural helpers. We want to lift up those around us and provide any support we can to help people on their journeys. So when we transition to being a business owner, even if it's just a small side hustle that you're building in your spare time, selling can feel really uncomfortable. And God forbid somebody question your motives or accuse you of selling out. It's a major hit to your confidence. That's why I love Jamila's point about how if she can't provide for herself from her business, she can't help anyone. Her time and expertise has value and so does yours. Whenever you're selling anything, some people aren't going to buy it. And a small fraction of people are going to be needlessly upset that you would even have the confidence to try and sell what you've created. Trust me, we've gotten some crazy responses to sales emails. But if that happens, it's okay. Those people aren't your people. And if you don't value your work and impact on the world, no one will. Second, be willing to take calculated risks. Not everything you attempt in life will be a rousing success. Or maybe it is a rousing success, but you just don't like it. The fact is, you won't know what will work and what you'll enjoy until you get out there. So do your research, understand the potential pros and cons, and give it a try. When Jamila left her job, she had built up a two-year runway where her business didn't have to make any money. This gave her the breathing room she needed to try different money-making strategies within Journey to Launch until she found the right structure for her. Maybe you don't need a two-year cushion. Maybe instead you want to start your business as a small side hustle or take a class related to a potential new career before you leave your job. But if you're passionate about something and have done the work to know it could be successful— Be willing to take that risk. You can't change your life by staying where you are. And finally, find the courage to fail forward. My favorite part about Jamila's story is that when things didn't work out, she had the courage to A, walk away from what wasn't working, and B, keep trying new things. The vending machine business wasn't what Jamila and her husband thought it would be. Her online magazine was fun, but not a long-term passion. However, both experiences taught her a lot and brought her closer to the business she did want to run, Journey to Launch. In the words of Winston Churchill, success is going from failure to failure with no loss of enthusiasm. If you can pick up one nugget of wisdom or experience from a failed venture, it's worth it. You'll go on to the next stage of your journey a little wiser and that much more likely to succeed. And that's what it's all about, being gentle with ourselves, understanding that failures happen and that we can pick ourselves up and keep going. It's having the confidence to live the traits we want to nurture in our kids because you can succeed and build the life you want. Mamas, I want to thank Jamila again for joining me on the show and our sponsor, Debt.com, for making this episode possible. If you'd like to see the full show notes for this episode or download your free copy of our Healthy Money Mantras worksheets, visit smartmoneymamas.com backslash Jamila. As always, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Smart Money Mamas show and being an amazing member of our community. Keep talking money, mamas. I'll see you next week.